0: What's going on everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast. You are now listening to episode 49, Almost There to 50. I'm your host today, James Donahue, as I am for every show, so hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. And folks, before we talk about our Giants and just how well they're playing, something else that happened recently, yesterday that is, is Willie Mays' 90th birthday. So in honor of him, I'm going to be sharing some fun stats from his amazing 23-year Hall of Fame career. And what kind of Say Hey podcast would I be if I didn't read off some stats from the Say Hey kid himself? So along with that, I'm going to be talking about some Giants players who are performing especially well as of late. And lastly, I'm going to be breaking down the series that starts tonight against the San Diego Padres. I know, it's like we have play them every single week. Anyways, here we go. Here are some Willie Mays stats that you may or may not know, starting with the first one. He is the only player in MLB history to play 150 games for 13 consecutive years. That's fantastic. That's insane. Something else you also may not know, and something that I found very interesting, was that he would wear his hat size too small on purpose, so it would fly off when he rounded the bases for entertainment purposes. The man was not only one of the best players in history, but he was also one of the best performers in history. Moving on to the next stat, he is the only player in MLB history with at least 3,000 hits, a 300 average, 300 home runs, and 300 stolen bases. Willie Mays, of course, exceeded some of these marks rather easily, finishing his career with 3,283 hits, 660 home runs, and 338 steals. That's right. Along with hitting home runs, he was just an overall one of the best hitters in MLB history, and he also stole bases. Willie Mays is the only player to hit 50 homers in a season and 20 triples during another season. Now, there are 86 players in MLB history to have hit 20 triples in a single season, and there are 30 players in MLB history to hit 50 homers. But Willie Mays is the only player in history to do both during his career. That's pretty crazy. Moving on to the next stat Willie Mays not only was known for his offense, but he was also one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball history. He collected 12 gold gloves during his time in the big leagues, which also happens to be the most by any center fielder in baseball history. That's right. Willie did it all. He hit. He hit for power. He ran the bases and he played defense. Moving on to the next stat. Mike Trout has often drawn comparisons to Mays due to the pair's consistency and dominance in center field, and the two stand alone as the only players in Major League history with multiple seasons of at least a, three, a 320 batting average, 25 home runs, and 30 stolen bases. Mays accomplished this feat in back-to-back seasons from 1957 to 1958, posting a collective 3.40 average while averaging 32 home runs and 34 stolen bases over those two campaigns. Man, could you imagine if Willie Mays was on this Giants team right now, especially with the way they're hitting? Moving on to a few more stats. He was the first player in MLB history with multiple 35-35 seasons, which for those of you that don't know, that means seasons where he hit at least 35 home runs and stole 35 bases. He finished with 36 home runs and 40 stolen bases in 1956. Then he followed it up with 35 homers and 38 steals in 1957. However, since then, he's been joined by Bobby Bonds, Barry Bonds, and Alfonso Soriano. Now, this next stat is something I found really, really interesting. He has 24 all-star appearances to his name in 23 seasons. That's right. I know that sounds strange at first, but something I didn't know as a baseball fan was that one point in baseball's history from the years 1959 to 1962, there were two All-Star games a year instead of one. The goal with having two games instead of one was to increase the amount of money going into the player's pension fund. Until for some reason, after four years of two All-Star games it was agreed that the players would receive more money from the first All-Star game and that the second would be dropped. Go figure, man. Baseball history is crazy. So, throughout those four years, Willie Mays made both All-Star teams four years in a row. Pretty crazy. Alright, here we go. We got two more stats for you. Even though he was a Hall of Fame center fielder and spent some time at first base late in his career, Mays made an appearance at shortstop, actually, in one of the wildest games in MLB history. Facing the Mets in Game 2 of a doubleheader at Shea Stadium on May 31, 1964, Mays shifted from center field to shortstop to begin the bottom of the 10th inning. Though he did not see any action, Mays spent three innings at shortstop before shifting back to center field for the remainder of San Francisco 23 inning victory. He was just 1 for 10 at the plate while fellow Hall of Famer Gaylord Perry earned the win after tossing 10 scoreless innings in relief. This marked one of the career appearances at shortstop for Mays, who played 2,832 games at center field, 83 at first base, 12 in right field, 2 in left, and 1 at third base. Pretty crazy. The man did it all. From 1954 to 1966, which is a 12-year period, Mays averaged 40 home runs, 109 RBIs, 21 stolen bases and a 315 batting average. It's no wonder that this man not only is a Hall of Famer, but also one of the best players in all of history. If you were to ask me, I okay, maybe there is a little bias there. I absolutely would say that Willie Mays is the best player to ever play the game, but that just depends on who you're talking to. Willie Mays is just definitely one of those players you look at his stats, and you can't help but think to yourself, damn, if only I was born way earlier than I was right now. I would have loved to see Willie Mays play baseball in real time. But for now, I'll just use it as a lesson to soak up all the best players who are playing right now. Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, who is on the verge of retirement here. Even Buster Posey, his time is coming to an end here pretty soon. Even though I couldn't watch Willie Mays and plenty more Hall of Famers play the game of baseball, there still are plenty of future Hall of Famers who are currently playing the game right now. So let that be a lesson to you. Soak up all the innings you can with these players who are currently on the baseball diamond because you never know when it's going to be their last game. All right, moving on to the San Francisco Giants now. We've got some players who are playing exceptionally well, everyone. I'm going to go ahead and dive into individual player performances who I think you need to be aware of. And as I mentioned earlier, after that, I will dive into the matchup against the San Diego Padres. Here we go. Starting off with Brandon Belt. Belt is starting to heat up a little bit. Over his past 17 games, Belt has collected 15 hits, including three doubles, five home runs, 16 RBIs, and he's also drawn 11 walks during those games. For Belt, at least, this past series against the Rockies was especially entertaining because Belt hit a home run during both of the doubleheader games, on Tuesday, with one of those homers being a grand slam. And he is now officially on pace to hit 33 home runs on the year. Belt is still striking out a little too much for my liking, but I also think the best is yet to come for him this season. And the reason why I believe that is because he is in the top 8% of the league in how hard he's hitting the baseball, and he's also in the top 2% of the league in the quality of contact he's making with the baseball. Just like last year when Belt also experienced a slow start, I also expect him to really start locking in here. Moving on to the other Brandon. That's right, Brandon Crawford. Over his past six games, Brandon Crawford has produced a 358 batting average and has also hit three home runs during that time. On the year, however, Brandon Crawford has hit six home runs total and is also on pace to hit 38 on the year with 13 doubles. Before the season started, I would have expected those numbers to be flipped considering that Crawford is usually a doubles machine, but it's been so special to see him tap into his raw power. I don't really know if Crawford will end the season with 30 home runs, but I also don't see why not. The rate he's striking out isn't concerning by any means. In fact, it's right around league average, and he's also drawing walks more frequently. I don't think he'll produce a 300 batting average, but I wouldn't be shocked if he produces a batting average around 275 while also hitting 30 doubles and 25 home runs on the year. Moving on to the new kid on the block, Mike Talkman. Folks, you probably know all about his name at this point, but if you don't, then all you need to know is this. The Giants have recently traded relief pitcher Wandy Peralta to the Yankees for the left-handed utility outfielder Mike Talkman. In my opinion, the reason why the front office made this move is A, Mike Estremski landed on the 10-day DL, and the left-handed outfielder Depp had just taken a huge hit, and B, the team is extremely deep in left-handed relief pitching, so they had an arm to spare. I for one love this move because since he's put on a Giants uniform, he's proved to be very useful. So far, during the seven games as a Giant, he's hit three doubles and a home run, which is exactly the type of hitter Tachman is. He most likely won't produce a batting average in the high 300s, but he's definitely going to produce a lot of extra base hits, including home runs. And he has the range to play all three outfield positions, which is obviously extremely valuable. I personally am going to continue to keep my eye on Mike Talkman as the season progresses. Moving on to the captain, Buster Posey. Heading into tonight's Game 1 against the Padres, Posey will be sporting a 394 batting average on the year. And to this point, he has managed to hit 7 home runs and is also on pace to hit 57 on the year. However, even though I don't expect him to hit that many, for obvious reasons like playing time, it's just crazy to recognize the way he's hitting at this point in his career. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he reaches 20 to 25 home runs based on the pace that he's hitting him right now. And the last thing I'll mention is that Posey is hitting everything. No matter what the pitch is, Posey is hitting it. He's produced a 349 batting average against fastballs, a 400 batting average against breaking balls, and a 333 batting average against off-speed pitches. No matter what it is, Posey can hit it. How crazy would it be if Posey finishes this season as a 2021 MVP candidate? At this point, I don't see why not, because there literally isn't a hole in his game existing right now. Moving on to some of the younger names, that's going to be Mauricio Dubon. During the last series in Colorado, Dubon was pretty silent... But during the six games before that, Dubon managed to produce a 368 batting average and also hit two doubles and a home run during those games. Even though I don't expect Dubon to pop off and become, you know, the best hitter in this lineup all of a sudden, I do expect Dubon to start to feel a little comfortable here. He's currently sporting a 190 batting average on the season right now, but based on the quality of contact he's making with the baseball, his batting average should be looking more like two fifty-three. So like I said... Nothing too crazy, but I still expect to see a little more production out of Dubon here pretty soon. You know, I said I'm moving on to the younger names, but that was pretty much it. Dubon, and then I'm moving on to Evan Longoria. On the year, he's sporting a 282 batting average this season, but his XBA, or expected batting average, we know all about that stat now, is three ten. So how the hell is a 35-year-old veteran doing all of this? Well, for one, he's killing fastballs. Evan Longoria is batting... 357 against all the fastballs he's faced this year. Not only that, but also 60% of the balls he's hit this year are line drives and fly balls. Longoria has cut his chase rate by 10 points from 27% to one of the lower rates in baseball, 18%, while also swinging at more pitches in the strike zone than last year. After looking at the numbers of these veterans like Posey, Longoria, Belt, and Crawford, it's no wonder why this team is battling it out every single day with the other two teams in this division for that first place spot. Another hitter I thought I mentioned is Steven Duggar. He's been recently called up from the alternate training site and has produced a 364 batting average over his past three games and has hit a double, a triple, and has collected three RBIs. This is great. Another left handed outfield option for the Giants and a defensive option. Steven Duggar has always been that guy where you're like, you look at him and you try to think, okay, are are? you the are, are, is this the year you figure it out or is next year the year you figure it out? You're kind of losing out time on trying to figure it out. You know, Steven Duggar is definitely useful. He won't be a consistent starter, in my opinion, at this point in his career. But then again, anything is possible. Moving on to the relief pitchers. First one, Caleb Berger. During his past six outings, Berger has pitched a total of two innings, has struck out six batters, and has not given up a single run. Not to mention, Berger hasn't given up a single run all season. Him and Tyler Rogers, so far on the year are the only relief pitchers that I'm comfortable with in this bullpen. So far, Rogers has pitched a total of 17.2 innings and during that time has struck out 10 batters, has produced a 1.02 ERA, and has only walked three. At this point... It seems as though these two relief pitchers are the only ones who are proving to be reliable and consistent because, like always, this bullpen is anything but perfect. Over his past 5.2 innings pitch, Jake McGee has produced a 12.71 ERA. What the hell is up with that, dude? And Matt Whistler is still trying to figure out how to find success in a Giants uniform as his 7.94 ERA on the year would indicate. But to his defense... That ERA is way better than his 32.40 ERA in the beginning of April. Yikes. And of course, the young rookie Camilo Doval... Has shown flashes of what he's capable of, but the consistency is nowhere near a desirable place, but I'm still hopeful for the young flamethrower, mainly because even though his current ERA is sitting at 8.10, his expected ERA, that's right, just like expected batting average, there's an expected ERA stat for pitchers. Camilo Duvall's expected ERA is 3.82, which of course means Duvall should be seeing better results based on the quality of pitches he's making. All right, folks, before we move on to the last segment of this show, I just wanted to say thank you so much for consistently listening to the Say Hey Podcast. Your support and love of the show truly means the world. Again, everyone, you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a rating and a review if you feel so inclined. All right, enough of that ad. Here we go. Game one tonight against the San Diego Padres will feature a matchup between Anthony Descalfani and Blake Snell. Now, Descalfani's previous start for San Diego consisted of six innings pitched three earned runs two walks and three strikeouts serviceable but nothing too crazy the game the name of the game not only tonight but whenever you play the Padres is keeping Tatis and Machado silent they both have a home run against Desclafani, and if he can continue to suppress their bats then the Giants might have a chance but then again Tatis and Machado aren't the only two hitters that can hit the baseball in this lineup. As for the Padres, Blake Snell's previous start versus San Francisco consisted of five innings pitched, five hits, only one earned run, and six strikeouts. Blake Snell's a strikeout machine against the Giants. The start previous to his past one, he struck out eight Giants during his first game, but luckily for the Giants, there are some players who actually have success. Mike Talkman is one of them. Throughout his career, Mike Talkman has gone 3-for-9 with two doubles. That's nice. Big Daddy Darren Ruff has gone 3-for-5 with a home run against Blake Snell. Wilmer Flores is 3-for-9 with a double. And basically what I'm trying to say is that this game will be for the right-handed bats in this lineup. If the right-handed bats can't do any damage against Snell, then it's going to be very, very tough to get things going. Moving on to Game 2 of this series, it's going to feature a matchup between Joe Musgrove and Kevin Gosman. Now, San Diego has only been able to score one run during both of Kevin Gosman's outings, and Gosman needs to look to do that for a third time this season if the Giants have any shot of beating this Padres team. As for Joe Musgrove, his last outing against the Giants consisted of 5 innings pitched, 5 earned runs, and 6 strikeouts. Mike Talkman launched a home run the last time he faced Musgrove, which was awesome to see. And Brandon Crawford, his career numbers look like two for four with a double against Musgrove. In order for the Giants to win this game, Kevin Gosman needs to look to continue his dominance against the Padres this year, and the Giants' bats need to come alive against this elite right-handed pitcher. Moving on to Game 3, it's going to feature a matchup between Johnny Cueto versus, I have no idea yet, for the Padres. I can't even look. I looked at ESPN. I looked at MLB.com. I still have no idea who's going to start for the for the Padre, excuse me, for Game 3. As for Johnny Cueto, though, he is officially coming off the injured list, which probably means Logan Webb is being moved back to the bullpen. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this move not only helps the rotation, but it also helps the bullpen, since reliable right-handed arms have been scarce so far this season. Now, at the end of the day... If the Giants lose two games out of three again against the Padres, then they will no longer hold the mantle of the first place team in the NL West. But my God, this is becoming so exhausting facing a team that's this good so often, especially when you have a bullpen like the Giants do, which is anything but great. It also doesn't help that certain bats continue to struggle like Alex Dickerson, but hopefully the veterans we talked about earlier in this episode can continue their offensive surge this season and carry it over against one of the best teams in all of baseball. My optimistic take is that the Giants win games 2 and 3. For game 2, the Padres have yet to really figure out Gosman, and the Giants really knocked around Musgrove the last time they faced off, so I'll be optimistic heading into game 2. As for game 3... Before he ended up on the injured list, Cueto was arguably the best pitcher in this rotation. If he's fully healthy for this start, then the Giants have a great chance to win this game. Especially if the Padres choose to start Chris Paddock, who has been historically bad against the Giants. Last year, Paddock produced a 7.27 ERA at Oracle Park, so fingers crossed it's him. But as of right now, I have no idea who is starting for the Padres for Game 3. All right, everyone, that is going to be all for today's episode of the Say Hey Podcast. Again, you can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. I took a bit of a hiatus recently from the podcast and producing shows, and I just want to apologize for that, everyone. And of course, I just want to say thank you again for your continued support and love of the show. As of right now, everyone, the Giants are still in first place. So this matchup against the Padres means everything. But the good news is is even if we don't see the results that we want throughout this series, there is still plenty of baseball left to be played. All right, everyone, continue to stay safe out there, continue to be smart, but most importantly, go Giants.